we've had so many instances where we were able to utilize our drone footage and be able to have that real-time information de-escalate situations where we don't even, uh, we'll get calls, you know, you'll get calls of a suspicious person talking to themselves or possibly with a weapon. And it's not a crime to talk to yourself. And we'll get over here with the drone first and we'll see, okay, they're, they're not doing anything. There's no weapons, there's no crime. We won't even send ground units. And which is huge. You're listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Gail Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years' experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now. What up, Black and Blue fan? Welcome to the Black and Blue Podcast, where we celebrate diversity in U.S. law enforcement. Y'all know me. My name is Dale, and I'm the host. Thank you for tuning in to this little endeavor of mine to bring you stories of minority law, law enforcement officers from around the country. Why? Because in this day and age, we need more folks like me and you in policing. And I hope I can do just a little something to help with that. If you want to help me along in this endeavor, please click those like, subscribe, and bell icons right down here on my YouTube channel. And if you're listening to me on your favorite podcast platform, please consider rating the Black and Blue Podcast five stars. And check out the Black and Blue Podcast social media pages for even more Black and Blue content. You can find me everywhere at Black and Blue US. All right, so today's guest is a veteran of the Chula Vista Police Department. Black and Blue fam, let's hear it for Lieutenant Miriam Fox. <laughs> How you doing there? I'm good. How are you? I am excellent. Thank you for joining me here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So what's going on down there in uh, Chula Vista today? Uh, it's a beautiful sunny day. As you can see, the sun is out. Uh, I think the high today is going to be like in the low 70s. So it's rough. We're rough in January yeah. here. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We're both in, in California, but uh, I'm a little north of you in the Inland Empire. And you're down there in, in the San Diego area where it's always beautiful. Everybody loves the San Diego area. I love it down there. Uh, how long you been down there in the, in the San Diego area? Uh, well, I've been in San Diego since I got stationed out here in the Navy since 1990. Oh, wow. Well, no, we'll definitely talk about that then. So, so you've been out here for a little while, a little while. Yes. Great, great. All right. Tell, tell everybody a little bit about, uh, Chula Vista, where it sits, population size and and all that real quick. Well, city of Chula Vista is located in San Diego County. Like you said, um, our southern edge of the city is about seven miles from the border. Uh, so just south of us is the southern San Diego area. Uh, we have approximately 270,000 uh, population and growing. Our city is still growing. Um, about 52 square miles. And uh, it's a beautiful city. We have a lot of new development still going on. Um, so it's one of the few California cities that still has uh, some, some growth. 
some room to grow, huh? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Chula Vista. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's a growing population. Years ago, I used to work for the border patrol and, uh, there's a station down there in Chula Vista. We used to call it Chu. And, uh, so I'm sure you guys work a lot with them. What, what's that relationship with, uh, with the, uh, border patrol and all the other agencies down there at, at the border? Well, you know, and I, you probably remember this, the, the relationship's really good. Um, all the agencies, you know, we're all here to help each other. Um, if there's any type of assistance needed, you know, we, we support everybody, you know, federal, local, um, we have a really good relationship. So it's, it's, it's a bless, a blessing to be in law enforcement down in San Diego County. Excellent. Excellent. And, uh, your, your department, Chula Vista PD, how, how large is that? Well, right now we are authorized sworn 281 and we're probably about 238 and, you know, trying to hire like everybody else. Uh-huh. Uh, we're a little bit over a hundred and a little bit over a hundred for non-sworn. Uh, so, um, the city is growing and so is the sworn staff and professional staff as we call them. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good size, uh, department yeah. there with a, wow. You said about a hundred, uh, non-sworn that's, that's a pretty big uh, contingent there of non-sworn as well. So, yeah. Oh, you always like forget that. that, you know, the sworn can't do their job without the non-sworn. No, it's, they're the ones who keep happen. it going. <laughs> That's right. Records and, <laughs> and forensics and, and all That's that. Right. Yeah, they're the ones who keep that, keep it going. So, yeah, we appreciate them as well. Dispatchers, That's all right. that. Yep, yep. So how how do you find yourself down to uh, Chula Vista? I know you, you mentioned earlier the Navy. What What's your story there? Well... That's a, I always think it's a kind of a funny story. I, I did not grow up wanting to be a police officer. Um, when I first joined the Navy, I was 17 years old, didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I joined the Navy to kind of see the world. I got stationed in San Diego. Um, but prior to that, I was, I went to boot camp in Orlando and then I went to my, my A school. And that was like your, your job, your first job, your school, you're going to get the basics in your training. And at that time in 1990, they didn't have a lot of um, billets open for me to transfer to a, like a ship or something. So they initially were going to send me to do military police. And being from New York, as I am, I didn't have a driver's license at 17. So they were going, they couldn't send me to the police, a police, a military police officer because you obviously need a driver's license. So I end up getting a command, uh, the USS McKee here in uh, San Diego, Point Loma, San Diego. It's a submarine tender. It's now decommissioned, but I was on there for five years. And then when I was up for shore duty, uh, again, I had the opportunity to be military police. So I kind of just came around the circle after five years. And when I became a military police officer, I loved it. I was like, oh, this is fun. You know, I like interacting with everybody. Every day was different. It was kind of exciting. And you were helping people, even though I was doing it on base, you know, it was very similar. And so I was up for orders again after doing my three years. And I had been in about eight and a half years at the time. And I couldn't get a ship out of San Diego. I was wanting to go to a carrier. And so I decided to get out of active duty, but join the Navy Reserves. And I applied to Chula Vista along with other agencies. And, and at that time, I just wanted to get into law enforcement. So whoever hooked, you know, applied or hired me first, that's who I went with. So uh, mm-hmm. Chula Vista hired me first and I'm, I'm blessed to have been here. It's, it's a great agency. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard so much about, uh, your agency. So yeah, you real good department you got in there. You know, yes, I'm glad uh, you, you talked about the Navy there. What, what was that experience? Like you, you say you're on a sub, you were doing all sorts of stuff there in, in the Navy and <laughs> yeah, you were, uh, 
blessed to come from New York to San Diego. What was that transition like for you? Well, yeah, I was, uh, I joined the Navy in New York and actually left for boot camp from Florida because everyone in New York, you know, when they retire, they move down to Florida. So my parents right. had moved down to Florida. I left for boot camp um, from Florida, went to boot camp in Florida, went to my A school in Florida, and then got stationed in San Diego. It was a bit of a culture shock because East Coast, West Coast is like, yep. it's, it's just different. It's just different. And initially, I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't like I didn't like San Diego, which is crazy, right? Really? You think about it. Wow. Yeah, it just it just didn't seem like home. But once yeah. I started getting ingrained in the community and you know meeting friends and meeting people, it was uh, it became you know I, I love it now. I definitely love it. Um, and I actually I was on a repair ship because back then women weren't on combatants. We weren't on submarines, so mm. my ship was a submarine tender which is a submarine repair ship. But we also repaired surface ships as well. So um, nice. it was great. I, I loved being in the Navy. I got to travel. I got to, as soon as I checked on board in uh, November of 1990, um, we went on Westpac January of 91 in support of uh, Operation uh, Enduring Freedom, and, or the, actually the first Persian Gulf War, actually. And I went to Hawaii, Guam, Singapore, Thailand, uh, Japan, Sasebo, Yokosuka, uh, the Middle East, um, wow. Hong Kong. And so it was, I got to travel, see the world. It was just, it was so eye-opening to go around and see all these different cultures. And, you know, I had only been to New York and Florida and then San Diego. So it was, it was crazy. Um, but it was such an experience and I, I was so thankful that I did it because it helped me, you know, grow up, mature and just learn about the world and that it was just wasn't just my little area that I was used to. Um, yeah, so I think it yeah. kind of helped set me up to be in law enforcement, too. Yeah, that, that, I'm sure that was a great experience. You get, you know, like you said, you got to see different parts of the world, different people, different cultures and, and kind of show you, hey, there's there's different points of view, different ways of doing things and just the way we did things in, in say, New York and Florida. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a funny thing you mentioned that uh, when you first <laughs> went into the military, you didn't have a driver's license, as uh, so many New Yorkers don't have. There was a guy uh, when I was in Border Patrol, actually, from New York. He didn't have a uh, driver's license. I think he just got it right before he got in the academy. And uh, he had a hard time doing the uh, the EVOC course, the emergency <laughs> vehicle operations course. And, uh, yeah, because he hadn't driven his whole life. And he was already in his late 20s at that time. So, yeah, it's crazy. So you don't need a driver's license. Here, you, you don't. Know? First of all, you're not going to find parking. Right. So <laughs> you're taking the subway, <laughs> the bus, you know, a taxi. Um, but yeah, I, I eventually got it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cause it's totally different. Cause I remember when I was 16, I was, I was waiting at the DMV <laughs> waiting to get my license, you know? And then it's just weird now. Cause I got two teenagers and uh, I got one in college now, one about to graduate to go to college. And, uh, actually after little, little later today, after she gets out of school, we're taking her to go take her, uh, her permit test. And, uh, and my son, like I say, he's in college now, but, uh, it was a, it was a, uh, an endeavor trying to get him to get his license. And we're like, come on, man, how are you going to be Ubering around? You know, <laughs> how you gonna take a girl out or whatever, you know, in an Uber, you better go get your license. It's just different nowadays. Cause like I said, you know, back then I was waiting <laughs> the day I turned 16. So just different. Definitely different. I still have family in New York that live in the Bronx that, you know, I have an aunt of mine. She's 
um, never had our driver's license, you know, in her early eighties. So wow. she's happy, wow. you know, yeah, yeah. Hey. <laughs> she's, she's getting around. She's getting around. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you said, uh, so Chula Vista was the uh, first agency out of the, the multitude of agencies that you applied for to pick you up. What was that, uh, the early years like for you, uh, when you joined? Uh, for me, it was, it was great. It was, it was what I expected, but more because it was to me, every day was different and it was different than the military law enforcement because there was a lot more, uh, to do. Um, with Chula Vista, we have a really diverse community. So we have in our Eastern corridor, these million dollar homes and then on the Western corridor is the older neighborhood. And so, and one of the oldest gangs in the county, um, is located in Chula Vista. So you kind of got a little bit of everything. And so it was, it was a quick learning curve, but it was really diverse and it was really nice. So depending on where you worked in the city, you got a little bit of everything. And so it, it was, it was, um, I loved it. I loved it. I worked mostly graveyards and swing watch shifts as a younger officer. And back then I could, I could, there was no problem. I could sleep during the day without, you know, after <laughs> having so many hours of yep. work and less sleep. Um, but yeah, it was, it was great. It was great. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I couldn't believe what I was like. I was like, wow, I, I'm actually a police officer. And it was, it was a great time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Still is, still is. Yeah, it still is. It still is not. You, you know, you're not doing so much on patrol work anymore as a lieutenant. We'll, we'll get into what your your duties are nowadays, but uh, yeah, it, it's still a great profession, and and that's again one reason why I want to do this show to try to bring more people like uh, you and I into into this profession because we need it. So, absolutely, absolutely. You know, you mentioned that uh, Chula Vista is is pretty diverse. I wanted to ask you about that population. I, I would assume. Well, not that I would assume. Let me ask you: Is it uh, a mostly uh, Hispanic population there, or what, what's the uh, population kind of breakdown over there? It actually is almost. It's mostly Hispanic, with uh, Caucasian right behind it. Um, it's pretty close. Sometimes it's like fifty, forty-nine. Um, so it's pretty close. Our African American uh, demographic is like four percent, and actually our police department were actually higher demographic than we are in the community so it's like we're like six percent sworn officers um, okay. so it's actually interesting we're actually higher than the demographic you know this is a military town uh, all of san diego we have we're we're basically uh bordered by a lot of military bases so there's a lot of military here which gives you a huge diverse yes. uh, community in all the areas in san diego absolutely and you are a lieutenant now. Um, how long have you been a lieutenant? I got promoted in 2015, the end of 2015. So a, a little bit, a little bit of time. Yes. Yeah, all right. So you're, you're a senior lieutenant there. What, what's your, your assignment now? Uh, currently, I'm the strategic operations lieutenant. So I am in charge of different duties as assigned. But uh, one of my main duties, I'm the uh, manager of our unmanned aerial systems program, our UAS program. Nice. And I see one of those back there behind you. <laughs> yes. All right. Yes. What, what is that uh, model there? That's uh, the 210, the DJI 210. Okay. So, so you guys have a whole cadre of them. Uh, my department, we've got maybe 10. 
So yeah, yeah. How do how do you like that? Uh, fly, do you actually fly them yourself or? I do. I actually, everyone from my captain on down, we're all part 107 certified. So we're licensed by the FAA to fly uh, UAS um, vehicles. So, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, I wanted yeah. to make sure I learned and knew what it was. It was probably one of the hardest tests I've ever taken. Um, I've heard. Just, I've heard that uh, test is crazy. Yeah, FAA <laughs> test, right? Absolutely. And it is just a smidge of what pilots have to go through. And, and I, I was like, wow, so much respect because there were so many things you have to learn that you just didn't realize was important when it came to, you know, flights and stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, I love being a part of this program. You know, Chula Vista, we were groundbreaking and starting a drone as a first responder program. So we're the first to have a drone actually respond to 911 calls and provide aerial sort of you know aerial footage for our officers for the supervisors for the managers so they can actually see what's going on on calls and a lot of times we can get the drone overhead clear a call without even having to send ground units so it's it's pretty groundbreaking um innovative and it's exciting because uh, i think our officers know that they have that that opportunity to see what's going on prior to going in and they're just not going in blind. Um, yeah. So we've had calls where we have a marina area where there's a person with a gun um, and you would have to, you know, you go, it's not an active shooting, but it's a person with a gun, they have to go in. Well, now our officers can kind of stand back, let the drone get overhead, they could see the footage and make a better informed plan and then come in safely. And we've had so many instances where we were able to utilize our drone footage and be able to have that real-time information de-escalate situations where mm -hmm. we don't even, uh, we'll get calls, you know, you'll get calls of a suspicious person talking to themselves or possibly with a weapon. And it's not a crime to talk to yourself. And nope. we'll get over here with the drone first and we'll see, okay, they're not doing anything. There's no weapons, there's no crime. We won't even send ground units. And which is huge because you know, the community, yeah. especially today, they don't necessarily want to interact with officers all the time. And, and we get that. So we were trying to find different ways, innovative ways to how we could still do our job using technology and still providing that service. Nice, nice. But do you guys still use the traditional air units, you know, air support as far as, you know, helicopters and all that? Absolutely. Absolutely. We use San Diego PD, um, San Diego County Sheriff's. They have their helicopters. We actually work together with them. So with the drone, you know, we're 400 feet or less. The helicopters are above that. Um, we'll be on a call with our drone and the helicopter will be there. So uh, we work together with them. They understand what we're doing. They've seen our program. Um, and, you know, we're grateful to have that relationship and partnership with them. Excellent. Excellent. And drones, uh, that's a little bit more involved in, you know, consumer level, you know, the little ones you can get off of Amazon, I'm sure. <laughs> Well, what are some of the things that your drain your drones can do? I know that night vision. I'm sure, um, I, I'm sure there's a there's a big conspiracy out there that people think that you know they're going to be able to drop bombs on us and you know on people's. And I'm sure uh, none of our drones do that, ladies and gentlemen. None of our drones do that. But uh, tell tell everybody a little about uh, the uh, capabilities of your your aircraft there. Uh, so for our, you know, our drones, we are utilizing the DJI Matrice 300 for the DFR program. We also have other drones that we use as well. But for the DFR program, um, 
the drones can switch to thermal. And a lot of times our fire department has access to our footage and will respond to a car fire or a brush fire and we'll be able to switch to thermal and it assists the fire department how they're going to attack the fire and and do their job better um in addition to that you know we are for our we have about 21 pilots on the team and those pilots also take drones in the field like they'll take the small ones out in the field and if we need assistance um, maybe providing services to a homeless encampment we have a speaker where we can actually talk, put a reporting on the drone and fly the drone into the encampment area and tell them, hey, we're out here on the road. We're here to offer services, you know, feel free to come out. This is what we have. And we use that a lot during, especially during COVID. Um, so we can actually speak to people um, using some of our smaller drones. So it, there's a lot of different things that you can do. There are no weapons. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, there's no, no weapons. weapons. <laughs> Yeah, these aren't like the predator drones you see in the military, and it's not a surveillance tool. We do have, you know, is a concern at times that we're surveilling people, we're going through people's backyards, and and our big thing is we understand the community has a concern. I, you know, I live in the community. I think it's important that they know that it's we understand your privacy is important to you. Uh, we actually post all of our flights on our website, so you can go to our, you know, if you just Google Chill of Us the Drone Program and look at the different flight history and you can see exactly the flight telemetry the flight path of the drone the reason why we went to the call the date and time and the incident number. so if they have questions they can call us and we understand that's important we want the community yeah. to know hey we, we're doing this for you this is to help provide a service to help better you know prepare our officers for calls that they're going into you know it's it's, it's a safety thing for the community and for us Absolutely. That's, that's really cool. Really transparent that you guys are putting that out there on the, on the website so people can see that. I love, I love that. Love that. And, uh, we've got, uh, I'm, I'm part of a community policing unit in my department. And one of the officers in the unit is a, is a drone operator, I guess. I don't know what they call it, <laughs> what you guys call it, but uh, yeah, he, he told me all about the, the testing and all that, but, uh, he's also part of the social media team and he uses it for, you know, some of the, uh, social media posts that, uh, that you know our department does you guys utilize it for some of the more non-traditional stuff as well uh well right now we don't have we do at times may assist but it's mostly for uh, assist with calls for service right okay. now all right um but no tiktoks like, with it huh no tiktoks <laughs> <laughs> no tiktoks <laughs> uh, we do have like we do get calls for service about drones flying over communities and we'll we'll make contact with those pilots they're not it's actually not even us we'll make and it's like a lot of real estate are using drones uh, drones are being yeah. used a lot these mm -hmm. days and and i think it's just the future it's going to be the future of policing because um, again trying to find ways to get to that call and we don't have to worry about traffic. You can get there quicker yeah, and you don't have to, that. you know what I mean? And get there quicker, yeah. get on scene and provide that critical information. So, um, yeah, we're pretty lucky that we're, um, uh, one of our retired captains came up with this idea. Um, and he, it's really grown to what it is today. Captain Fritz Reber, this was his brainchild years ago. And so yeah. uh, I'm just happy to be a part of the program. So LT, so you're telling me one day we can be like the fire department and just sit back in our lazy boys and respond to calls for, from a drone? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. My captain always talks about um, 
like Captain Don Redman always talks about hey, his idea his idea for where the program is going to go to in the future is basically, you know, the drones, the way they're going in the future, that they're going to be like a drone in a box uh, type system where it's autonomous. And um, and they'll be stationed at every fire department because every fire department, every fire station is strategically placed for, you know, for response time for calls for service. So we'll have a drone at every fire station and there's a priority one call that comes in or a priority two call that comes in and the drone launches based on the live 911 call gets overhead and then the pilot, it's just actually a sworn officer, still pilots the drone. Uh, even though we still think it's important that a police officer is piloting the drone because the police officer is going to know, oh, you know what, this is not exactly what the caller said. Because we understand the community may not understand. They'll say, oh, I'm being robbed and someone stole their bike like a week ago. So it, it's nice. It's important to have an officer that's actually piloting the drone, being able to feed information to the officers on the ground and say, hey, this is the direction, this is the description, or you know, whatever other information that's important to help them do their jobs better. All right. Yeah, that sounds like a fun assignment. How long have you been uh, in that capacity? I just got this assignment last year, March. All right. Nice, nice. What What are some of the other assignments you've had uh, in your tenure over there, too? Um, I was, obviously, I did patrol as a young officer. Um, my One of my first assignments was Street Team Gang Suppression Unit. That was a great assignment. I loved it. Um, from there, I worked gangs as a homicide detective. And then I uh, was in homicide a couple of times, and then I worked family protection unit as a detective. And then I transitioned. Uh, when I got promoted to supervisor, to sergeant, I worked property crimes, professional standards unit. And then when I got promoted to lieutenant, I was a patrol watch commander and then went back to professional standards unit as a lieutenant. Short stint in uh, criminal investigations division, and now I'm in strategic operations. All right, all right. And uh, another catalyst of this of this program is I want to show people um, what it's like to be an officer. And you being a female in this, you know, mainly male dominated profession, tell tell everybody about your experience. You know, as a young officer coming up is a little different now as a lieutenant, but as a young officer coming up as a female uh, in this profession? Uh, you know, I was always blessed that I had, I worked with a lot of good people. You know, I had a lot of good uh, mentors. Uh, my chief, um, she was the first female lieutenant, first female captain, and now the first female chief. Uh, and, All right. You know, so seeing that coming up in, a, in my organization, it was it was really, really impactful. Uh, but I always felt like as a female, I wanted to make sure that there was no doubt of my abilities. And I always felt when I went to a new unit, I had to work harder, you know, make sure I was working late, doubling the work because I wanted to make sure my partners knew. And I always had good people working around me, but I always felt that pressure more so as a female to make sure I could do the job. And I'm shorter, so... <laughs> smaller stature and that sometimes has you know perception is reality and so i always mm -hmm. felt like i had to make sure i was doing my job and make sure it was perfect because i didn't want my male partners or male counterparts to think that i wasn't gonna be able to back them up um, but um again i was i was really lucky i was really fortunate and obviously i you know throughout the years being able to show that i can do the job i think a lot of women do feel that pressure 
and no one's coming up to me and saying, oh, you're a female, you need to do more. But you feel that pressure. You yeah. feel that pressure. Yep, yep. Yeah, I had a conversation with somebody outside of law enforcement uh, not that long ago about uh, stature. You just got done talking about, you know, your stature in law enforcement. And I had to let them know just, you know, from my experience that a lot of times the people that are smaller in stature and females don't get into many physical altercations because they know how to talk their way out of, you know, verbal judo is, is what you want to, you know, now it's called uh, de-escalation. Uh, but, you know, you, I'm sure you've known that your your whole entire life before you even got into law enforcement, how to de-escalate things, just being a female in this world. And, uh, you know, it's sometimes it's the larger officers that, you know, think they can handle anything, you know, they, they run into situations blindly or or they have that sort of machismo about them and then they get <laughs> getting more use of forces. So, yeah, it's interesting. Absolutely. And that's that's a great point. And, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover, especially in today's world. You cannot yeah. judge a book by a cover. And being a female, um, you have to have been I think any officer, especially now, needs to learn how to deescalate. And I have the gift of gab. <laughs> I'll talk your ear off for hours. <laughs> so maybe that's why I always got compliance. But please, when I worked, just take me. Just, just take me. Just take me. <laughs> stop talking. Stop talking. Uh, <laughs> uh, but when I worked in gangs, um, I loved it because, you know, growing up in New York, I always learned to respect, you know. And so mm -hmm. when I dealt with gang members, it was, okay, you got caught and you did something wrong. You're going to jail. And it was about treating them with respect. And I never had issues because it was all about respect. And they realized, I, I, you know, I, I have families that, like, you know, I have family members that went different routes in life. And so to me, I know I wasn't any better than them and that mm -hmm. they put their pants on like I did one leg at a time. Um, but it was all about respect. And I think that comes through, you know, people can smell BS, you know. And so yep. I always tell the officers, you know, be yourself, you know, because Someone's going to tell them it's fake. They're going to tell them it's fake. And they're going to be like, okay. Oh, no you know? doubt. Yep. And then on the flip side of that, I've also noticed uh, in, in calls for service that it's never really the big dudes that want to give you a problem. It's always the little dudes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that does they happen. Got, they got, does like, happen. they got something to prove. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> big dudes are just like, all right, man, let's just go. I, I know I can whoop your butt, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> Right, right. Or they're just smart and go, why add the hassle? Why add the yeah, hassle? right. Why even the hassle? You've yeah, been there and done right. that. So, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And also, you are an African-American as well. And since 2020, you know, even before that, since the 60s, but, you know, more recently since uh, 2020 with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Maude Arbery and all those incidents, um, it's been kind of tough for us as African-Americans wearing the badge as well. T talk about your experience when all those things went down, particularly George Floyd. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's it's obviously been crazy for all of us in law enforcement. I'm actually, my mother was Puerto Rican. My dad was black. My Both of my parents have passed on. So uh, have, what happened in my experience with George Floyd, I felt like it opened up a conversation that I was never asked at work. And I had you know, co-workers, you know, officers that were on the shifts and they would ask me, well, how do you feel? I didn't, I never mm -hmm. thought about asking you how you felt. And that blew my mind because I never had anyone ask me. Um, I remember having a conversation with one of my officers um, at the time in the unit I was working and he was saying that I never heard of Emmett Till Tillman. And I was like, really? 
and he was asking me, did you know about that story? I'm like, yeah, you know, we talked about that when I was a kid at home. And so um, that was crazy to me. But also it was, I think it was great because it opened up conversation. It was a horrible situation to see that, to see that happen and go, wow, I, I, I don't understand why that was happening. Um, but it also opened up a conversation that I think needed to be had amongst communities internally as well in agencies to where they were asking officers that were, you know, minority officers, African-American officers, hey, how do you feel? How does this make you feel? Um, I have always, even in patrol, you know, I have gotten that, you know, oh, you're not really black, you know, and that was happening years ago. I've been on the department 23 years and that was happening years ago. So did that really change? I feel like it's maybe it's more polarized, it's more visible now, but to me that's always happened. But I feel like the conversation, there, there's more questions that I, I didn't know. People were saying that officers that are, you know, Caucasian or not, not minorities would say, I didn't know, I didn't know. And to me, that's, I guess that, that conversation's good because we need to start yeah. having that understanding so we can move forward together and figure out how do you fix this? How do you fix this divide? Yeah, absolutely. And having that conversation is, is always good. And, you know, now that they actually saw what a lot of people have been talking about for years, um, when the George Floyd incident happened, uh, right before our very eyes and all those other Facebook lives and all, all those other sort of things. Um, is your department really big on, on training, on de-escalation, on, uh, on tactics, on things of that nature on, and one big thing now is, uh, since George Floyd is a uh, duty to intercede. And I, I know that's something that most of us already did, but now it's been codified. What's your, your position on that? Oh, I think it's great. Um, our agency, you know, we did the implicit bias training two or three years ago. Um, we, we did the duty intercede training last year. We updated our policy. Um, so it's great uh, because agencies are taking a step back and making sure their officers understand what they should be doing. And I think the best thing about it is that for some agencies, there may be some officers that don't feel comfortable interceding. And now there's a policy that backs you up. Now is a policy that backs you up. And so I think it's it's great. It's great. It needs to be done. Um, I had a conversation with my brother a few years back after my dad had passed away and my brother and I were talking and he was like, you know, you know, daddy didn't like the fact that you were a cop. And I was like, I didn't even know that. He never told me that because he was proud that I was, you know, being successful and working hard. And I, my dad grew up, you know, in that civil rights movement time. and so he had a very different experience as an African-American male than I did growing up as a child because my parents provided, had a really good life for me and my siblings. And so to me, that was like, wow, I didn't know that, you know? And, but my dad never let me know, I'm not proud of what you're doing. I'm not proud of what you're doing. But he, he had a, I guess an internal battle because I was a police officer and he had a perception based on his experiences in life. Um, that, you know, made him feel that way. Yeah. And, you know, you being his daughter as well, I'm sure didn't help, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not a safe profession for, for any, any uh, parent to look at their child to do, I'm, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, that's, that's really interesting that uh, he, he never told you about that, but you know, he kind of felt that. Yeah. 
What about uh, when you decided? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I, my dad did do a one ride along with me, and uh, oh. he was yeah, yeah, right. yeah, and he was he was very very impressed by um, how I was interacting, how I interacted with the community. It was when I was in gangs, in fact, and I remember him having a car. I do remember this having a conversation with me, saying to make sure I didn't change, because he knew I was seeing things. You know, we see things in law enforcement that normal people don't see every day, and in our minds, we're seeing that 90% bad all the time, then you kind of get that mindset, everyone's bad, everything's bad. Yeah, but really, yeah, it's the opposite, right? It's the opposite. We're actually yep, only seeing yep. the 10% bad. And so I remember my dad telling me, you know, don't change who you are, you know, because people are good. You are dealing with mostly the bad. So remember that. And I remember him saying that, but he never said anything bad. And I, I appreciate that because obviously he's your, your parent, you want that approval. And so, you know, that was important to me. Yeah. Yeah. We deal with 5% of the 5%, really. That's so. right. That's right. That's right. Even yeah. less. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's, that's true. That's true. What about, uh, well, you were probably gone from the old neighborhood by the time you became a police officer anyway. But what about, uh, you know, people that you came up with, other family members, uh, about your decision to, to join law enforcement? Uh, everyone was supportive, you know. Um, I have a cousin that's NYPD, and uh, okay. he's, but he's still sorry, on NYPD Sorry for right their now. loss, the loss of their, their officer and the other one that's in critical oh, condition God, right now. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Oh, that is, that's is, is that what the morning band's for? Is that what you're wearing that for? Well, actually, we're wearing it for Ty uh, Lenneman, the officer at Elk Grove that got into the yes. in a car accident head-on collision. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, so my cousin's NYPD, and he he went into the Marine Corps. I went into the we're only like a, a year apart. And when he went into the police department, you know, he was like, hey, he had wrote me a letter. Back then, you know, he wrote letters, and he was like, hey, you know, make sure you do this, make sure you do that. And like, you know, be careful of this, be careful of that. And so he was making sure that I was prepared for the job because he had experiences at NYPD and he's, he's still an officer there. Um, for me, the I never really heard anything from the, my family other than when George Floyd happened. Um, I remember seeing on social media relatives, the things that they were posting and it was kind of like, ooh, that, that, that's hurt, yeah. that's hurtful, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but. I got the fact that they, that's what they felt. And that's, and these are relatives that lived in like other states in Pittsburgh and stuff like that. And so I, I got it. They felt a certain way. And, you know, George Floyd brought up a lot of feelings for everybody. Everyone yeah. had feelings about it. And so I, no one ever said, oh, I don't like, I don't like what you're doing, you know, but they would post up and they know I was on, you know, I would see it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. oh, you, you know, you, yeah. are you saying that I'm that way? You know? I do have an older sister that lives in Atlanta, and her and I have had many conversations about law enforcement. And she's like, well, you guys do this. And I'm like, well, do you think I do that? You know me as a person. Do you think she goes, well, no, no, not you, but you guys do this. And I'm like, so we would have these conversations. And that was, it was hurtful, but I I understood that was her perspective. She doesn't work in the job that I do. So she's not seeing what we're seeing from our perspective. And I think that's the main point is putting yourself in the other person's shoes and trying to empathize with what they are experiencing and what they feel. So that was tough having that conversation. Yeah. 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 Um, My family members are kind of the same way. And then when we have family reunions, 
most of my family's all back east. I'm originally from Ohio, so when we go back east for family reunions, we have the you know, spirited debates. But you know, we all love each other afterwards. You know, oh. Thanksgiving. You know, <laughs> conversations you shouldn't have over Thanksgiving dinner, right? But <laughs> you know, we do politics is is another one of those, and uh, you know, we hug it out and go have fun, still play cards and dominoes and all that afterwards. So it's all love. We, we, we family, so it's all good. So what do you like to do when you're not at work? Or are you, are you at work all the time? Salute to you, Well, right now, my husband and I just started taking up golf in the last year okay. or so. Um, so we're not very good, but uh, we love going. We go. We try to go every weekend because um, so, we're still learning, and we know everyone's talking, it's going to take years. So we're like, oh, that's cool. Yep. We, we walk. We walk the course. So we're like, okay, we get some exercise, and we're outside so right now i'm loving i'm loving golf uh i'm loving golf and then i uh, i went back to school so i'm i'm also busy with school i'm getting uh i went back to get my doctorate <laughs> degree right. i just started i just started it's gonna be some years yeah. but um that's keeping me pretty what, busy but I, i'm excited what, about what that. discipline uh it's gonna be criminal justice management with a specialization in leadership all right well good luck yeah. with that thank you a couple you. years couple years to go on that and call you yeah, uh, dr serious. fox <laughs> god will it god will it's one yeah, of my things yeah. on my list of like okay i want to do this i've i've always wanted to do it want to go back and get my degree my my doctor degree so i'm like you know why not now nice nice well, well good luck with that i, I wanted you. to ask you at uh at the end of this we're gonna we're gonna play a little trivia not a trivia game we're just a little lightning round game here with you and uh i, I was gonna come up with something about your last name fox but uh, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't come up with it. I've never met an actual fox. You know, I always know there was a uh, you know Jamie Fox. I think that's his his stage name. Red Fox. I think that was his stage name. Uh, so so there's an actual fox with uh, two X's even, huh? That's right. That's right. My husband is into kind of going back through his genealogy and trying to find you know where his family came from. My husband's from Texas, um, and the fox. Hey, name that's where Jamie's usually- from, right? That's right. Yeah, Jamie's from there. <laughs> but initially, their name had one X, and throughout the years, it, it they added the second X. So um, my husband's still doing his research, trying to find. But you know how it's hard, you know, with African Americans trying to find the history because there were so yeah. many records that weren't taken, you know, weren't retaken or they were destroyed in churches when they kept them, in, you know, in Bibles and stuff. So he's uh, still trying to to do that. There's this little things here and there that he's learning. Yeah, my mother and honor they're doing that compiling history and all that stuff, doing ancestry.com and and all the trying to compile who who married who and who came from where and all that. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Really it's interesting. so interesting. Yeah, it is. It is. So yeah, so I, I, I'm glad I didn't get into that one though, because there, there was been some <laughs> obscure ones, you know. Which fox is this? I was gonna do, you know, Michael J. Um, that's probably. Not- <laughs> <laughs> not too many other foxes. I don't right, Megan right. Fox maybe. Yeah, yeah. Fox and the Hound, I don't know. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> All right. So so what's uh what's the future hold for you for Lieutenant Fox here in the next five years or so? Oh goodness. Well, I I'm gonna try to promote, try to promote the captain. Um wanna finish my degree and yeah, just you know keep doing the job keep helping officers, you know, yeah, yeah. just 
plugging along. I'm, I'm not ready to retire yet. I, no. I'm not ready to hang up the uniform yet. I still kind of still want to do it, still want to play. Uh, when I retired from the Navy, uh, I did 22 years after doing active and, and reserve time. I knew it was like, okay, I, I think it's time to, to retire, focus on one career. And I know I'm not there yet. I got a few more years. So. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, as, as a Lieutenant there, are you kind of paying it forward, trying to uh, mentor others behind you, other females behind you to take leadership positions? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's nice. I, I, I do have a, a couple of females that I talk to that one that I'm mentoring specifically and a, a couple of others that do reach out for advice and input. And it's not just females. I'll re, uh, you know, oh, I'll yeah. connect with any officers and uh, do a lot of the officers come to me because I'm military and they're prior military and they ask, okay, how was that transition? Or they're in the reserves and how to, you know, the biggest thing about being in, in the military reserves is how to balance reserve and full-time career because it's like having another full-time job. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I think it's important for us as leaders that to help bring those up behind us. And funny story, I had an officer recently come to me who, when I was in professional standards and an RPD, it's uh, backgrounds recruiting, IA training, and mm-hmm. I met him when he was getting hired throughout the process. And that, that was probably one of my favorite jobs was to do that because you got to see them when they took the written test and then they did the physical agility, and then you see them as they progress and they go to the academy and graduate. And he recently yeah. told me, and he's on a different ship. I don't even see him. He works weekends, and he was like. You know, you were such an, you know, I, I, you're an inspiration to me. And I was just like kind of floored because, you know, um, he's African-American. And I thought, wow, I didn't realize I had that impact. I don't even see it. But he said what I'm doing, where I'm at. And so I was that was kind of cool, you know, and, and you have to remember, I think, for any of the leaders, there are going to be officers in your department. They're going to probably look up to you. And so setting that example, being available and, you know, being approachable, even when you see them in the hallway. And just saying hi and speaking to them and, you know, hey, do you need help or how are things going? And then asking them about their career and, and things yeah. to help them get through. Because we all went through that. What should I do? Should I put in for this position? Should I wait? I want to promote. Should I wait to promote? And and so realizing we have to remember that we were that. We were there. We were in that role. Yeah. And being able, having someone come up to you going, hey, have you thought about this? What are you doing with your career? What, what's your, your goals and aspirations? So. That was that was pretty cool, and I just you just gotta remember that. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And you know, kind of which path you should take depending on what you want to do with your career, what assignments you should you should try for. Um, there were some assignments I know in my department. Uh, I did uh, a task force for a few years. Um, you know, is that is that a good career because you're in, you're, you're away from your department? No one sees you right for right. You know, three to five years. Is, is that something that you know? you should be doing for your, for, for your career. It's always something you should weigh there. Yeah, it was fun, but uh, you know, nobody, nobody sees, nobody knows what you're doing for five years, you know? Yeah. I, I, that's what they ever regret. Never got a chance to do a task force. Cause I always thought God, it just would have been something different that you just wouldn't have gotten the chance. And I was always trying to do something different. Something yeah. that I probably wouldn't, you know, get a chance to do, try to get my foot in the door someplace, you know, unique that wouldn't, wasn't going to be something that you would see me doing. And so, yeah, um, I definitely get that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, LT, I appreciate you coming on. This is this is really fun. Got some good information you. about you know your drones and and about you and your department. 
and uh, yeah, right. so and uh, like I said, through the magic of editing, we will go back and I will do this. <laughs> this one I call. I saw a superhero. He was black. He said, "This is for the street." Black Lightning's back. All right, this is my lightning round. My oh, lightning God. round. Quick fire some questions at you. You just okay. throw some back, some answers back at me. Uh, my first okay. question was going to be uh, an assignment that you wish you had done, but you hadn't, and you already kind of answered that already. A, a task force position, so we'll yes. we'll skip over that one. But uh, here's your first one: uh, Prince or Michael Jackson? Uh, Prince. Prince. All right. Yep. Yep. Me too. I love them both, but Prince was more right. mature to, to me. Yeah, you know, and, and then when things came out about Michael Jackson, I'm like, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> so, that, yeah. And then there's that. <laughs> yeah, you know, and with our right. background, you know, we start going, damn. <laughs> yeah. you know? No doubt, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, best best cop TV show ever. TV show. Yeah. There, there's been a few <sighs> of them, you know, Hill Street Blues and 21 Jump Street. <sighs> and you can't think of one. That, that's all right. God, best you know, I used best to, cop movie. How about best cop movie? Oh, okay. You gotta think it's okay. It's gotta be tra- for me. It's training day. It's training day. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. That's up there. I, and the reason why is because I've had when that I remember when that movie came out and they were officers in my department that were like, "I'm never seeing that. That's disgraceful." Da, da, da. And I said, "No, it's important. You need to see that mm-hmm. because first of all, I love Denzel Washington. Yeah, okay, I love right, Denzel Washington. Right. But you need to see how an officer could stand up and do what's right." You know, like stand up and say at the end and say, no, I'm taking you in. You did something wrong. So I told, I remember having this conversation, like, it's a good example of you could stand up and have all those things against you. And this was back then. Yeah. You know, so yeah. Yep. Great movie. Yep. 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 Great movie. Uh, yeah. Great. Duty to intercede and all that. Yes. <laughs> Topical. Yes. But let me tell you, young officers, don't take that hit when that, you know, no. he tells you, God, he tells you, no. hey, smoke this. Room. No, don't do that, though. No, no. <laughs> That's, a, that's no, also a test. Don't yeah. do it. Don't I'm do good. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. All right. So I know uh, these are days gone by nowadays, but what's the longest pursuit you've ever been in? Ooh. Longest no. pursuit I've ever been in was yeah, not a... Not so much pursuits anymore, but yeah. Yeah. No, this was... Uh, I was in patrols on swing watch, getting me get off of work, blacked out vehicle. It was probably like a 10-minute pursuit, ended up being stolen Um occupied stolen vehicle and they they lost i mean they left me i was in the crown vic mm. hitting that bad boy i couldn't even catch up <laughs> <laughs> they left me crashed like four or five blocks down the way and they they ran we didn't catch them and i was like man it was a stolen vehicle um, yeah that was about 10 minutes yep all right uh <laughs> i'm sure you've seen i'm sure you've seen black panther right yes the yes black panther movie so uh, with with uh, Chadwick passing and everything, they, you know Disney oh. said uh, Marvel said they're not going to recast the role, but some people think that they should, you know, uh, oh. recast the Chala role. Uh, if they did, who who do you think would be a good actor to take over as Black Panther? Chala, oof, yeah. Who do you think would be Goodness a good gracious good fit? Michael B. Come back as him or. Oh. Uh, yeah, but he was so good as, as the cousin. Um, yeah, yeah. Or, I don't know. I mean, should you recast Denzel's son? Denzel's son? Yeah. Oh, John yeah. David? Wa- yeah, yeah, David Washington. Maybe, maybe. I just feel like, I, I guess I agree with they shouldn't recast, but yeah, maybe David Washington. Okay. Maybe. Right. Maybe. Yeah. Right. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. What's, uh, what's your duty weapon? Uh, right now, it's a... Uh, Say, uh, Springfield Armory 40 
SDM, XDM. You know, 40, still 40. I'm still mm-hmm. rocking 40. I well, know a lot of people are going back to nines now. So Yeah, yeah. Well, in, in our department, we can have a, a, a weapon that we can carry ourselves that's in a list, on an approved list. So yeah. I, I got the Springfield because years ago, um, they were one of the first weapons to have the interchangeable plates in the back. And I have a smaller hand. So being able to grab the gun and be able to still release the magazine with one hand and not having to use my other hand um that was huge for okay me. Like, yeah. small plate Makes and sense. i was like and it's a 40 well, this is crazy <laughs> all right yeah um better better rapper turned actor ice cube or ll cool j ll cool j from LL? <laughs> yes <laughs> right okay yeah that was that was a loaded question <laughs> yeah he's from queens i'm from queens I mean, there you I, go I, I gotta, yeah. Gotta represent yeah yeah all right all right all right <laughs> And uh, last one, if you hadn't become a cop, what, what do you think you'd be doing? Ooh, I'd still be in the Navy. Still be in the Navy? Yes. Yes, you, you did like that job. All right. I did. Right. I did. Yes. All right. Appreciate that, LT. I uh, appreciate everything. Thank you. There's some, uh, so uh, on the way out, just uh, little words of wisdom or something for, for my guests and my, not my guests, my, my viewers and my listeners, a little couple words of wisdom. Oh, goodness. What I used to tell when I was in patrol and what I tell my guys when they go out in the field, have fun, be safe, and do your best. Yep. Words of wisdom there. (laughs) Be safe and do your best. That's all we can ask for, right? That's right. Yep. All right, Lieutenant Fox, I appreciate you. Um, You have fun out there flying flying those drones around. (laughs) Thank you so uh, much. Thank you for having me. Yes, and we'll talk soon. I appreciate you. All right, take care. Uh, you too. Bye. All right, fam, I think we did it. There goes another great episode of the Black and Blue Podcast for you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Chula Vista, California Police Lieutenant Miriam Fox. If you did, please consider clicking on those like, share, subscribe buttons right here on my YouTube channel or rate the show five stars on the podcast platform you're listening to me on right now. That'll really help me continue to grow this black and blue community. You know, I'm going to be back right here in another couple weeks with another great interview. Same black time, same black channel. But till then, say it with me. Stay black in blue. I'll holler at you. Peace. Peace.